Well, good morning, everybody. Welcome to Northridge Church. Glad you're here, whether you're in the room online. And once again, happy Father's Day to all of you dads, all of you men out there. Thank you for being here. So uh, one of the things that I love to do after watching a movie is I like to sit there uh, when the credits start rolling, and I actually like to watch the credits. Is anybody else in the room with me? Anybody else like to do that? Both of you. Okay, both of you can watch a movie together. Listen, I know that is sad and pathetic and boring and all that kind of stuff. I'm a nerd. I own it. I'm proud of it. I'm good. Like I will, I'm the one in the theater. We don't go to the theater often, but when we do, I'm sitting there. Everybody else is moving around and, and I'm just sitting there. And everybody else is like, are you moving? Nope, I'm not, because the credits are still going. And I'm reading them. And, and I love it, because I love to know where, like, where it was filmed. I like to know how many stun doubles there were. But here's actually one of my favorite things. I don't know if you've noticed this, but in credits, you have a lot of like the regular given names, but then a lot of people that work on movies, they have nicknames. And in the credits, not always, sometimes the, movies, the movie company doesn't allow it or whatever the case is, they choose not to do it. But sometimes they will allow the people to put their nicknames in there and they come up in quotes. So I have a picture of one of these. This is an example. If you see there, Robert Zajonk, but his nickname is Bobby Z. Like, it makes sense, right? Robert and his last name Z. So it's like Bobby Z. We know where that came from. But the truth is, nicknames are kind of cool, aren't they? Nicknames are cool. Because nicknames, they can be funny, they can actually be sometimes kind of mean, but here's one thing that's true about nicknames. They always have a story, don't they? There's always a story with the nickname. There's always a reason why a person has a nickname. There's always something behind it. There's a reason for it. Well, the reason I bring that up is because today we're going to continue our series called Ordinary to Extraordinary. We're talking about people in the Bible, ordinary people who do extraordinary things because of God in their life. And so today we're going to talk about a guy who has a really cool and really important nickname. In fact, we only know him by his nickname. So let me ask you this. If I were to ask you, think of or to name a Joseph in the Bible, probably most of us would come up with one of three people out of the Bible named Joseph. Mary and Joseph, Jesus' parents. Joseph in the Old Testament, Joseph in the coat of many colors in Egypt and all of that stuff. Or you might, if you really think hard enough, Joseph of Arimathea, who is the guy that takes care of Jesus' body. Those are probably the three Josephs that we would come up with. But there's another Joseph that all of us know, we've heard about, but we don't know him by the name Joseph. We know him by his nickname. So I want to read for you, it describes this guy in one verse in the book of Acts, Acts chapter 4, verse 36. Listen to what it says. It says, for instance, there was Joseph, his given name, the one the apostles nicknamed Barnabas, which means son of encouragement. So you have this guy named Joseph, but nobody knows him by Joseph. Everybody knows him as Barnabas. If I say Barnabas, we're like, oh, I've heard of Barnabas in the Bible. Okay. But we don't, we don't think of him as being a Joseph. Why? Because he was not known by his real given name. He was known by his nickname. It was a nickname, Barnabas. So if he was in a movie, his Barnabas would be in quotes. It would be Joseph, and then Barnabas would be in quotes. Is his nickname. 
But we think of it as his real name because that's all we know him as. So, the question becomes, why did he have this nickname? And why was this nickname translated to the son of encouragement? Where did it come from? Why, why did people call him Barnabas instead of Joseph? Well, I want to give you one story out of several that I could give you about Barnabas in the Bible. So let me set up the context. So a few weeks ago, I talked about this guy named Saul. Remember Saul? Saul is a guy who hates Christians. He wants to arrest them. He wants to kill them. That's what Saul wants. And so he's on the road. He's on his way from Jerusalem to this region called Damascus. And as he is walking along this road, he's got several other guys with him, and he's going to find as many followers of Jesus, as many Christians as he can. He wants to arrest them and kill them. So that's his mission. And he's on this road, and Jesus shines a light, and he has this amazing, miraculous encounter with Jesus. And Jesus, he hears Jesus' voice, and Jesus basically calls Barnabas or Saul out, and he says, Listen, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And as a result of that, I won't go into the whole story, but three days later, Saul gives his life to Jesus. It's an amazing thing. Saul, in three days, catch this, this is miraculous, Saul goes from arresting and killing Christians to becoming one. That's a pretty amazing switch. And so now Saul starts running everywhere he possibly can to tell everybody he can about Jesus. He can't, he can't wait. He's preaching. He's telling everybody. He's like, man, this Jesus guy, he's amazing. This is awesome. You, you just have to know him. And so Saul's running all over Damascus telling everybody about Jesus. Here's the issue. All of the apostles, all the 12 disciples, the original 12 disciples of Jesus, all the believers back in Jerusalem, they don't know that all of this is happening. They don't know that Saul has completely transformed his life. That Jesus is everything to him now. They don't know. They know nothing about this. And so, I'm going to pick up the story where Saul has to get out of Damascus and ends up in Jerusalem. And I want you to see what happens. And how Barnabas plays a very important role in Saul's life. And in the church's life. Acts chapter 9 starting with verse 22. Saul's preaching became more and more powerful, and the Jews in Damascus couldn't refute his proofs that Jesus was indeed the Messiah. After a while, some of the Jews plotted together to kill him. Now, just stop there for a moment. Notice the uh, ironic or the irony here. Saul was the one arresting and killing Christians. Now he's become one. Now he's telling everybody he can about Jesus. And now the Jews are trying to kill him. Do you see how things have changed? Saul is doing everything he can to point people to speak Jesus into and around and for everybody he can possibly find. That's awesome. But the Jews are trying to kill him for it. They were watching for him, Saul, day and night at the city gate so they could murder him. But Saul was told about their plot. So during the night, some of the other believers lowered him in a large basket through an opening in the city wall. When Saul arrived in Jerusalem, he tried to meet with the believers, but they were all afraid of him. Understandably, he's been arresting and killing Christians. They actually watched it happen a few weeks before this. Okay, So this is, they know that he's the real deal. He wants to kill them. They were all afraid of him. They did not believe he had truly become a believer. Then Barnabas, know that guy, right? 
Barnabas, his nickname, brought him to the apostles and told them how Saul had seen the Lord on the way to Damascus and how the Lord had spoken to Saul. He also told them that Saul had preached boldly in the name of Jesus in Damascus. So all of that story, there's a key point in there that is really important. When everyone else was afraid of Saul, when everyone else wanted nothing to do with Saul, when everyone else rejected Saul, when nobody wanted to hang out with Saul, when nobody wanted Saul around, when Saul was the outcast, he was on the outside, he was the one being made fun of, at lunch. He was the one that at your workplace, nobody ever wants to take that person because they are awkward. They are weird. Saul is the one that nobody invites. Nobody ever wants along. They're weird. They're off. They're strange. They never stop talking. And so you get them talking, they're never going to shut up. So don't actually bring them along. Saul is the one nobody wants around. You catch that? Saul is the one nobody wants there. And in the midst of that reality, it is Barnabas, the son of encouragement, nickname, who steps in and says, I'm going to stick my reputation out. I'm going to stick my neck out for this guy. Nobody wants him. They're afraid of him. They don't want him around. I'm going to bring him with me I'm going to say, listen, this guy is changed. Jesus has completely transformed him. We need him here. Now think about this. This is a big deal. Because think about, you may not want to do this, but think back to your middle school, high school days. Some of you are already, you're still in your middle school and high school days. I get it. I see you. But some of you aren't. Some of you have been out of that for a while. And so think back to your middle school, high school days. I'm guessing you probably had some nice people at your school, right? Some really wonderful, amazing friends. But then you also had some other people. And let's just be honest, they were jerks. Right? Anybody? Anybody? You don't have to raise your hand, but anybody know jerks in school? People who are selfish, bullies, mean? I'll bet you do. I bet you've experienced it. I did too. Now I want you to imagine that a couple of those jerks, I know I'm saying jerk a lot on Sunday morning, I'm sorry. I'm serious though, we, we think of them that way. I want you to imagine a couple of those jerks, they come back into your life now. You haven't seen them. You don't know anything about them. All of a sudden they start coming back into your friend circle and they start wanting to be friends with you and you, they, they want you to open your heart to them and, and they want to open their heart to you and they want to actually have a, like a real relationship that goes beyond the surfacy middle school, high school days that you had. And, but you know how that person treated you. Maybe they even bullied you in school. Would it be kind of important if somebody else came along and said, listen, I've known this person since middle school and high school. They are completely different. They've changed. They can be trusted now. They're not going to make fun of you. They're not going to tear you down. They're different. Wouldn't it be important for somebody to vouch for them so that you knew somebody that you trusted? This is exactly what Barnabas did. 
Barnabas stepped in and he said, this guy Saul, everything has changed. Everything has changed and we can trust him. And so he goes in and he starts preaching boldly. And guess what, man? He is, Saul becomes Paul, the Apostle Paul. And the Apostle Paul, by far, him alone, at least based on biblical texts, based on scripture, he does more for the beginning early church than anybody else by far. But I don't know if that fully happens unless Barnabas steps in and fights for him. Right? Goes to bat for him, sticks his neck out for him. In fact, the truth be told, uh, I had forgotten that Barnabas' real name was Joseph until I started studying this last week for the sermon. I cho- we, we chose Barnabas as this week. Well, I knew that, but I'd forgotten that his real name was Joseph until I started studying it. I was like, I forgot that. Because we think of Barnabas as encouragement, as a guy who sticks his neck out for other people. Now, here's what I want to do. Keep that story in mind. So Saul has nobody to go to bat for him, and Barnabas steps out. He's the only guy that does it. Encouragement. Let's go back to that first verse that I read, because I want to actually unpack that verse for a little while. Acts chapter 4, verse 36. Remember that story, and now think of this. For instance, there was Joseph, the one the apostles nicknamed Barnabas, which means son of encouragement. Now, you see this scripture on the screen. It's in our language, English. But you guys know the New Testament was not written in English originally. It was written in Greek. So I want to kind of talk to you about a Greek word that's really important here because we think of something when we hear encouragement. Here's what I think some of us think. We think of a parent standing on the sideline and being like, you can do it. You can do this. Come on, go. You can score. You can defend. You can do this. Woo! You can do anything. You can be anything. That's encouragement. It's not bad encouragement. It's fine encouragement. That's not what this is. Okay? Our English word of encouragement is fine, but it does not actually explain very well what that Greek word is that we translate into the word encouragement means. So the Greek word that we translate in that verse is periklesis. But it goes to a root word called perikaleo. Okay? Periklesis is just a form of perikaleo. Okay? And so this Greek word, now I want to show you what this Greek word looks like because we, we kind of put it up there. It almost seems like it's false because we have to put it in English letters so that we can say it somehow. Because if I was reading this in Greek, I personally would not, I know some Greek, some Greek words, I should say, but I can't read Greek, okay? So I want to show you, this is what this Greek word looks like in Greek, okay? Um, That's what it looks like. How many of you would be able to read that? Me? No, me neither, okay? But that's, that word is perikaleo in Greek, okay? So when the New Testament was originally written, this is what it looked like. Somebody had to be able to read Koine Greek, translated it, and said, okay, this is what this word means. I think the English equivalent is encouragement. Okay? And so we have the, the way that the verse reads, Barnabas, which means the son of encouragement. But what it really said was perikaleo in Greek. Now, here's why that's important. Let me unpack this word. What does perikaleo mean? Because I don't know, when was the last time you used the word perikaleo? It's been a while. (laughs) 
Parakaleo has two parts to it. Let's break it down. Okay? The first part is obviously para. Right? P-A-R-A. Para. And para means alongside or next to. It's a preposition. In English, we call this a preposition. A preposition very simply describes where something is in relation to something else. So let's say that I have a bucket sitting here and a ball. Okay? And I say the ball is in the bucket. The word in is a preposition. It tells you where the ball is. Does that make sense? So you have a bucket, you have a ball, and you say the ball is in the bucket. In is the preposition. It tells you where it is. I could set the ball on top of the bucket. The ball is on top of the bucket. That's a preposition. It's telling you where it is. I could set the ball next to the bucket. I say the ball is alongside or next to the bucket. It's a preposition. So this is a preposition contained within the Greek word. Para means alongside or next to, beside. Okay? Uh, by the way, this is really cool. If you're in the education system, we have teachers, we have administrators, and then we also have paras or paraeducators. Have you heard that term? You know why we call them paraeducators or paras? Because they come alongside the teachers and the administrators to help the students. Isn't that cool? Now you know something. Now when you meet the, the next time you meet a para, you're like, hey, I know why you're called a para. And they're going to be like, thank you for that. Where did you learn that? That's more than I ever wanted to know. <laughs> right? But a paraeducator is they are coming alongside to help. Okay? So... Para is the first part. Kaleo is the second part, obviously. So para kaleo, kaleo means to call out or to reach out. So if you literally put these two things together, the word means to call out to bring alongside. To reach out to bring alongside. That's what it literally translates to mean. We use the word encouragement Eh, it falls flat a little bit. Parakaleo means to reach out and bring alongside you, next to you, with you. Now, I want to give a couple of quick thoughts to this. Okay? The first thought is this. Parakaleo really implies that the person can't do something and somebody needs to help them with it if they're going to be able to accomplish it. Does that make sense? It really implies, it doesn't expressly state this, it means to call somebody to your side, to bring somebody next to you. Okay? That's what it literally means. But what it implies is that you are doing something for somebody that they cannot do on their own. Let me give you an example of this. So my wife, Laura, she loves planting flowers in the spring. I love it when they're planted. I'm not a fan before they're planted, okay? Because it's a lot of work to get them done. Now, here's why I bring that up. She has two flower pots that are kind of near the top of her favorite. And these pots are big, blue, ceramic beasts, okay? Very heavy beasts. 
And they're ceramic, so we always have to put them inside because we live in Wisconsin. And in the winter, they would, you know, crack and all that stuff. We can't use another material flower pot. We have to have ceramic flower pots. Love it. As you can tell, I'm not bitter at all about it. Two of them, they're, I kid you not, they're like this big around. And they're filled with dirt all the time because we don't have to dig them out. And they're made of ceramics, so they're not exactly light. And so for me to get them out of the garage and into place, which happens to be on our deck, by the way, which means we get to go upstairs. I love you, dear. This is awesome. Okay? I can't do that on my own. Because ceramic is smooth, and it's heavy, and it's huge, and like, yes, I can do this, and I have done that. And it's like... Like, maybe I could actually, but to get up the stairs, it's just, it's ridiculous. So thankfully, I have a 16-year-old son. His name is Jackson. And I say, Jackson, it's time to move the big, huge flower pots. And usually what I get is he, he does out loud what I'm thinking in my head. He goes, oh. And I'm like, I know. Let's get him into place, and then we can be done. All right? That's how I feel inside. I get it, but let's do this. <laughs> the truth is that when you're thinking of Pericaleo, it's like that. It's somebody, somebody is carrying a weight, a burden, something that they cannot carry on their own. And somebody has to step alongside. They have to come alongside and say, I'm going to help. I've got this. I, let's do this together. You understand this is really important because flower pots are one thing, but addiction is another. Sometimes we let people go through addiction all by themselves. And it's, it's much worse than a flower pot and they can't make it. And we let them go on their own because we're sick and tired of watching them deal with the addiction and we think they should have been over it by now. Or we don't walk through this addiction with them. Why? Because we don't want to get involved. We don't want to get in the mess. And maybe we're even scared of the addiction itself. In fact, let's dig in a little deeper. Sometimes what we do is we avoid the person in addiction because we don't want to lose the relationship and so we'll let them kill themselves with this addiction because we're not going to tell them the truth. Alcohol is one of the most insidious ones, by the way. Drugs are obvious. Alcohol, not so much because it's socially acceptable. Trust me when I say this. I talk to people all the time, families who say, this has been going on for 15, 20, 25 years. Nobody's ever told them you have a problem. I'm just here to say, if somebody's struggling, if somebody was laying in the road and needed help and a car was coming, I hope that most human beings would jump in and pull that person to safety. That's exactly what's happening with drugs, with alcohol, with anything, you name it. And what we need to realize is that we have to be a Barnabas. 
We need to reach out. We need to call out and say, hey, I'm alongside you. I'm going to help you carry this. I'm going to take you. You have a problem. And I'm going to drive you to the treatment center. I'm going to get you to counseling because you need this. And some of you say, I've tried that. I know, keep trying. Will it hurt the relationship? It might. In fact, I'm going to be honest with you, it probably will. I haven't seen most of those things go well at first. Sometimes, but usually not. But what I have seen is I've seen the freedom on the other side when somebody was honest and they became a Barnabas and they stepped up and said, I'm not going anywhere, but we need to walk in this together and I'm going to help carry the load. It could be somebody that doesn't know Jesus. Again, you don't have to raise your hand. Think about it. Do you know people in your life who don't know Jesus? You know who you are to them? You're a Barnabas. You're a Barnabas. That's why you're in their life. You are there to call them alongside you and say, hey, I have this hope. Hope's a good word. I have this hope, and I want to share this hope with you. I want to take you with me to enjoy and experience this hope. See, it's the Barnabas. We could go on and on. Somebody who's lost somebody. Grief. Somebody going through a nasty, awful divorce. Do you think that that's a kind of a heavy weight to carry? Absolutely. And so God calls us to be this Barnabas to step alongside. It is something where it implies that somebody can't do this on their own. They're carrying a heavy load. And it's like, it's obvious. If I'm carrying something that's too heavy and I'm struggling and I'm about to drop it, there would be somebody that runs to my help. I know. they like, oh, here, let me help you grab that or let me get the door or whatever. We do that. And yet we don't do that emotionally and spiritually and relationally. God's like, that's why you're there. <laughs> I put you in, your, in their life so that you can come alongside them and help them and call them and tell them the truth. Love them in the truth, but tell them the truth. Be a Barnabas. Encourage, challenge, motivate, move with them. So the second thought is this. In fact, before, no, before, I, before I go on. Hmm. Just pause for a moment. Because this is really good in theory. But if we do nothing with it, then this was a pointless exercise this morning. Those of you on the stage, when we prayed this morning, what did I pray? If this is routine, I want nothing to do with it. This is stupid if we just do church please let's quit because doing church gets us nowhere sitting in church gets us nowhere being the church however is where it's at right and so what i would say is just pause for a moment i want you to think Who in your life right now needs a Barnabas? Seriously. Who in your life? Think about it. You're the Barnabas. I can't be the Barnabas. If I showed up at their place, they'd be like, who's that guy? 
They don't want to see me. I talked to my teenage guys about this at NTS camp this last week. I was like, think about some friends that you have that need to know Jesus. Do you think they'd rather talk to me or talk to you? It's, a, it's an easy answer. They don't want to talk to me. Yeah, let's talk to the mid-40s guy. He's losing his hair. He's so cool. <laughs> Your friends don't want to talk to me. They want to talk to you. You're the Barnabas. Your family members, you're the Barnabas. Your neighbors, you're the Barnabas. Are you pericaleo to them? Are you calling out to them? Are you bringing them alongside of you? You have the hope of the world. Are you encouraging them with it? Or are you hiding it? Don't hide it. Be a Barnabas. Come alongside. Encourage them. Who is that person? Who are those people? Think about it. What can you do this week to be a Barnabas? Okay, now we can move on. Sorry, God had a stop point there. Second thought. The other thought is that pericaleo is not passive. It is not a passive thing. It is not where... Um, we are aware of our surroundings, and when somebody is in need, we jump in. That's not a bad thing. It's a good thing. But it's not this. Pericaleo, understand that when Saul could not see the believers, Saul did not ask Barnabas, hey, Barnabas, can you give me a good word here? Saul didn't say that. Barnabas took it upon himself to say, this guy, Saul, is awesome. I need to get him in with the believers in Jerusalem. And so I'm going to initiate. I am going to actively, intentionally step in, and I'm going to bring Saul into the circle because I believe God has great things for him. It is actively seeking, how can I be a Barnabas? It's looking for it. It's not waiting for it. It's looking for it. It's not waiting to be asked, right? It's jumping in and asking, can I come alongside you? How can I help? What can I do? It's active. It's intentional. And the truth is, let's be honest, one big reason why we don't do anything sometimes and come alongside well, we don't do the Barnabas thing, it's because we don't know what we're supposed to do. Isn't that truth? Like, there, I would say most of the time when I'm help, trying to help somebody, I'd say most of the time, I don't know what percentage, but most of the time, I'm not entirely sure driving to their house, getting to that place, what I'm supposed to do or what I'm supposed to say. And let me just say this, not to be mean, it doesn't matter. It doesn't. Just show up. Just show up. You don't have to have the answers. In fact, it might be better if you didn't. I sometimes talk too much. Imagine that. Seriously, I have an answer for just about anything. My wife, my kids will tell you. If they ask a question, like, here we go. Settle in. <laughs> you think I'm joking. Like, ask them. 
They know. I, could go, I can go for half an hour on a really easy, simple question. No, no problem. Sometimes us having all the answers is not actually what we need. It's not what somebody else needs. Just show up. If you remember nothing else, remember this. Presence is powerful. Presence is powerful. This is Father's Day. And so as a result, of course, for me, uh, I think about my dad a lot today. You know, I'm thinking I'm a dad and that's cool, but, you know, I miss my dad. He's been gone for uh, a little more than two years now. And so Father's Day is still kind of hard from that standpoint. But one thing as I was thinking about Father's Day and I was thinking about my dad was I was thinking about this story. So it was in the very last days of his life. And uh, he was in the hospital. And my mom was there and my, I was there and my brother was there. Um, so just the, the four of us were up in the hospital room. And uh, I have a good close friend named Craig. Craig Raymond. Uh, he lives in Grand Rapids, Michigan. And uh, he was just over there praying for us because he knew that my dad was, he seemed to be in the last days. And his heart, he was just hurting, right, for, for us. And, and he was praying and, and he was just impressed on it by God. He's like, I have no idea. I can't do anything. I can't. He couldn't come up into the hospital because it was immediate family only because of COVID and all that kind of stuff. And he, so he, he wasn't even sure if he was going to see me. But so finally what he decided to do, he's like, you know what? And he talked to his wife and his daughter and he said, I, I just have to drive. I just have to go there. I just have to be there. And so he left Michigan. He drove around the lake and he came up and he showed up. He showed up uh, in the evening, I think, afternoon or evening at our house. I wasn't there. I was at the hospital with my, with my family, with my dad. But Laura and the kids were there and he just, he just all of a sudden showed up in the driveway. And, and I didn't see all the interaction, but I know there were some, some beautiful things there. And he said, I don't know if I can see Brent, but I, I just didn't know what to do. I can't do anything, and I can't sit anymore. And so I just had to show up. And so the next day, uh, he reached out to me and said, hey, I'm in Madison. Like, I'm here. I stayed in a hotel last night. I saw your family last night. Uh, can I come and see you at the hospital? I know I can't go in, but can I see you? And I said, absolutely, I would love that. And so he texted me when he got there, and he was outside the front doors of the hospital. And I came down, and we sat on the bench. 20, 25 minutes. It wasn't a long time. And we cried. We prayed. We hugged. Outside on a bench and in front of the hospital. And I'm just telling you, Craig didn't offer me any great words of wisdom. We didn't say anything mind blowing. You wouldn't be like, wow, listen, that conversation that was amazing. Mm-hmm. But you know what was powerful? Is I had somebody else. next to me because the load was pretty heavy just show 
Just be there. Just be there. Be a Barnabas. Come alongside. Let him know, I'm here for you. I, I don't know if I can do anything for you, but I'm here for you. We need a lot more Barnabases in our life. Right? The question is, will you, are you willing to be a Barnabas? And so, as we finish... I want you to think about, honestly, who in your life needs a Barnabas? Who in your life needs a Barnabas? Maybe you need a Barnabas. Maybe you are, have grown up in a situation in a family where one of your parents or neither one of your parents were there for you. And they should have been, but they weren't. And so you need a Barnabas. Maybe you know somebody else in your circle that somebody didn't show up for them. And you know they need a Barnabas. Well, if you're in their life, you're the Barnabas. Don't call me. It'll be weird. They'll be like, who's that guy? I wanted you. (laughs) You're the Barnabas. We just just had this amazing week at camp, uh, youth camp, NTS camp. And we took 32 teenagers down to camp to Indiana and then just got back late Thursday night. That's why my voice is so off <laughs> and scratchy because there was a lot of yelling and screaming and, and singing and worshiping and all everything. It was awesome, but I'm exhausted. <laughs> but it was amazing. We're gonna, we'll give an update on camp next week. We didn't have time. Two days is not enough to kind of report back on all the stuff that happened. But, I, but Pastor Chris did hand me the the paper of all the commitments that were made this week. Blow you away. Our teenagers, I hope that that fire, you should have seen hands up, hands out, kneeling, praying, crying. I saw more men crying this week than I've seen cry in the last six months. Easy. We're talking about teenage boys. And grown men. And let me tell you, it was awesome. If you haven't seen grown men cry, you might be in the wrong room. Just saying. It was awesome. We'll we'll talk more about that next week. But here's what I would want to say to you. Seriously, please catch this. Presence is powerful. We need to be a church that does not sit in church, but we speak Jesus over every person that is in our life. And we need to stop hiding. We have the cure for cancer. We have the cure for everything. We have the cure for all of life. And if you're hiding it, that's evil. Stop hiding and being evil. Share Jesus. Put Jesus. Put Jesus in their life so that they cannot run from it. And if they run from you, so be it. But they're running from life. We need to stop being so stinking scared of offending a person. You know what's offensive? Is letting them go to hell while we are like, we're going to be careful about not offending them though. Seriously? That's as offensive as it gets. You have a cure for something, you better share it. 
Are you willing to be a Barnabas? Speak Jesus. Speak truth. Speak life into everyone you know. You don't have to, I don't blast people with this. I'm not coming in and going, you don't know Jesus. You need to know Jesus. You need to know Jesus. But I also don't hide it. Just had a conversation at a grad party yesterday. Good long conversation. Lots of swear words in that conversation. Not for me. (laughs) And then, after 15 minutes, found out I was a pastor. I do love the facial expressions after that. I do. <laughs> it's like sitting across on a table in, in a person's garage and, you know, we're just hanging out and woo! Yeah, and then all of a sudden we're like, well, so what do you do? And I'm like, here we go. <laughs> and immediately he started telling a, a story about another Barnabas in his life. He didn't call him Barnabas. I'm not going to say who, right? I need to keep the confidentiality. But he talked about somebody, another father figure in his life. And and when they were going to go do something stupid, he sat down and he looked right through him, he said. And he told them about the devil. And he said, you don't want to mess with the devil. You should not go. And you shouldn't do this. You don't mess with the devil. He said, we didn't go. Praise God somebody's bold enough to say the truth. Are you willing to be a Barnabas? Are you willing to fight for somebody's soul, for somebody's emotions, for somebody's mental state, for somebody's addiction, for somebody's freedom in this life? My prayer, my hope is that we are a church that is bold. We're not going to be jerks. I know some of the churches they are like, we preach on God's word and all of you to, you know, whatever. Okay, no, no. But we're not going to hide who we are either. Let's be bold and courageous with our faith, who Jesus is. And let's love people. Let's love people like crazy so that they see the love of God in us. Amen? Lord Jesus, I thank you for allowing us to be your hands and feet. And I know it sometimes feels a little offensive. It feels, it kind of puts us on the defense a little bit, back on our heels when we start talking about that we need to to share you and push you and, and carry you to the world, to the people around us. But the truth is that you've called us to be, all of us, to be a Barnabas to come alongside people and give them life and freedom and truth and love. God, you you have declared very clearly in your word that you love all people, regardless of race or skin color, regardless of 
what their past was or what, whether their family accepted them or rejected them. God, you are make it clear that you love all people, that you want to bring the truth of who you are, your sacrifice on the cross and your resurrection from the grave. You want them to experience that power. But sometimes, God, you want us to be a part of the carrying of that. So help us to be a Barnabas to everyone around us. Parakaleo, to everyone around us, bringing people alongside of us. We are with you. They are with us, encouraging as we go. Help us to speak the truth in love. Help us not to forget one part of that equation, the truth in love. Help us to do it lovingly, but boldly. We pray this and we ask this in your name, Jesus.